good. And and so I wanted to talk about the little gods doctrine that's in the church because there are a lot of people that teach that you are little gods and you may not have gone to a church that teaches that but there are believe me churches there are famous famous preachers that teach that you are a little god and again it's no different from the new age movement um turn to exodus uh, 4 verse 1 uh, well, you don't have to turn there, but in Exodus, when, when God was commissioning Moses, and he's like, well, well, who, who, you know, and Moses was doubting him. Moses like, I can't speak. I can't do anything. And the people aren't going to believe me. God told him, stick your hand inside your bosom. And so Moses sticks his hand inside his bosom and he brings it out and it's white and it's leprous. And God says, put it back in. He puts it back in and he comes out and it's clean. And I think that the lesson that God was showing Moses is that, you know what? In you, there is no good thing. You are not God. I am God. You are not able to do anything on your own abilities. Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. You're not able to do anything in the name of the Lord. You're not able to do anything on the power of the Lord unless the Lord is doing it through you. You are not God. I am God. You are my servant, right? And, uh, Are you going to speak on the little God's verse? Because that's something that Jesus actually said. So yeah. if you're going to deny it, you also need to preach about yeah. the verse. And so that little God's, the, it comes from two verses. It comes from Psalms 80, 82 verse 6 and John 10 34. If you want to turn to John 10. Because, again, it is something that Jesus said. and But, again, I don't think that if you just take it at face value, you're going to get a wrong idea of what he's trying to say. Because when Jesus said that in John 10, John 10, verse 34, it says, Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the script... Well, you know what? Let's just start in verse... Um, I was going to save this for later, but we'll start in verse 24. It says, The Jews then gathered around Jesus and were saying to them, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and yet you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me, them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then he says this in verse 30, I and the Father are one. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So because Jesus compares himself with the Father, the Jews are going to stone him. Now again, the Jews would not even say God's name. Right? They, 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 would, they, they, never, they would not use the name of God on their lips because even the name of God was too holy for them. And so here Jesus is saying that he's one with the Father. They're going to stone him because to them, this is blasphemy for any human being to make himself out to be equal with God. And that's what exactly what Jesus is doing. They're going to stone him for it. And Jesus answered them and said, I showed you many good works from the father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. It, it's true. He did, right? Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? Now Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament here. Now anytime someone in the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament, you need to go back to the Old Testament where he quoted from and get it from the source. Because what he is doing is he's trying to remind these biblical scholars who knew the word of God of something that was said in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at it in a minute. 
Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If you do not believe, if you, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore, again, they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. So, number one, a couple things that we see here is that Jesus was equating himself to be God. They, the Pharisees, the Jews, thought it was blasphemy to such an extent that they were going to stone him to death. Okay? Now, they did not equate themselves with being gods and stuff. And I don't think that in this statement, Jesus is saying that they are gods either. And again, we're going to look at it. Um, turn to... And actually, before before we really look at that and stuff, I just want to look at some of the some of the things that people say. Um, people talk about Genesis one twenty six and twenty seven. It says where where man was creating God's image and and say things like just as dogs have puppies and cats have kittens, so God has little gods. Uh, and this one guy says until we comprehend that we are little gods, we cannot manifest the kingdom of God. Uh, did not. Uh, and the thing is is. Okay, God did create man in his own image. But what was that image? What were we to be like as God created us? You look at the Garden of Eden, you don't see Adam uh, doing any of the uh, creative things that God did. You don't see Adam creating anything. You don't see him doing the things that only God could do at all. As a matter of fact, the only thing that Adam did was take the animals that God already created and name them. Adam did no creations on his own. Adam did no God-like things on his own. Adam simply did what God told him to do. Now, being created in the image of God doesn't mean that I'm God. It means that I bear his nature, I bear his character, and I, I bear his personality, right? It doesn't make me God, but I do want to be like God because I am an ambassador for him. So when he created me in his image and in his nature, it was to reflect what he is like, not to do what he does, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and we're not through. We're just getting started. Um, so, so they're like, well, because God created, uh, you know, man and stuff. Like, well, we're 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 supposed to be just like him. Well, you know what? God also created monkeys. God created snakes. God created dogs. Now, are they like him too? Right? Is God a snake? And that's the thing. Again, when when. <clears throat> God, the Bible says that no one has seen God at any time. So when he created us, I don't look like God, right? God doesn't look like me. God, God is a spirit, right? And so we are not trying to look like him and stuff. We are just bearing his nature and his character. Um, Turn to Isaiah 43. And there is only one good, and that good is God. Jesus said there's only one good, and that is God. Turn to Isaiah 43. God, and that's the thing. We are making ourselves to be on the same plane, on the same level as God. And we're going to see in Scripture that that's not at all the way Scripture is. Isaiah 43, what? Isaiah 43, verse 10. It says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me. So God is talking about somebody who knows him, someone who believes in him, someone who is a follower of his. So you could say a believer, a Christian, right? 
says, and understand that I am he. Look what he says. Before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you, so you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Turn to another place in uh, Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, verse 6. Verse 5, he says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. So God, all throughout the scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is above his creation. There was no one like him. Remember Job. Job was complaining against God and God's doing all this and God's doing that. And man, I wish you had just killed me and stuff. And why did you do all this stuff? And, and then God in the very end of the book confronts him. And Job says, you know, before I thought I knew you. Now I really know you after I've seen you. And that's the thing. Once you've truly experienced God, once God, once you've come. And that's, that's the whole thing. I need a savior, right? You need a savior. If you are a human being on this planet, you need someone outside and above yourself who can save you for your sins. You cannot die for your sins because you are not good enough, because you are not God, because you are not sinless. Right? And so over and over throughout Scripture, the Bible talks about how God is as far as the highs the heavens are above us, above the earth, so far are my ways above you. God is far beyond us. Um, there's another guy that says, when I read in the Bible where he says, I am, and this is a direct quote. He says, when I, when I read in the Bible where he says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. And so that whole thing that we just read where they were going to stone Jesus because he said, I am. And what he was doing, he was quoting from Genesis where, where God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. And, and, and or, said that I am, that I am. yeah, and he said, and Moses is like, well, who am I going to tell the people sent me? And he said, tell him I am has sent you. And so, and that is where we get the name Yahweh. And that is the name for God. It isn't for no one else but God alone. He says, I am that I am. And Jesus, there are seven times in the book of John where Jesus says, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before Moses was, or before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus is claiming that exclusively for himself. Because there is no other. And that's why they wanted to kill him. Because they knew that there is no other either. And they thought that there was no other, including Jesus. But Jesus says, Jesus was telling them, there is no other except for me. Right? I and the Father are one. Um, so is it that said that I am quote? Uh, there, there's, oh, there's uh, Kenneth Copeland. And again, it's all over the place. And, and the thing is, is, some of these things were said years ago and stuff, some of them, but you can, you can go, there are several ministries that teach this same thing, and it's like, it's like some people, you, you can say, well, you know, they may have said that several years ago, and they don't believe that. Here's the thing, if I say something so egregious, if I say something that is so wrong, if I say something that, that it's clear is does not line up with the word of God, I have a responsibility to publicly come forth and say, you know what? When I said this, I was wrong. When I, and I don't want you to think that what I said was right because it's not. So teachers have a responsibility and, and I've done it many times. I've had to come back later after I said something stupid and say, you know what? That thing that I said was stupid, right? And and the thing is 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 you have a responsibility. I'm not defending Kenneth Copeland because right. I don't listen to him and I don't know anything, right. you know, about his teachings. 
but I would just point out that there would be no way to know for sure whether somebody had come back and repented of the things that they said. The, the, the thing they repented the, for everything that they said or partially repented right. because you may not have been at that sermon. It may not have been recorded. It may not be publicized, that kind of thing. So, okay. Well, here's the thing. In this modern day, the recordings live on and on forever. But, sure they do. You know, sure they do. Exactly. Exactly. And, that, and that's the thing. It is broadcast out there. And that's the thing. If I said something that I knew was wrong, that I knew had been broadcast out there, I personally would broadcast the opposite. I would broadcast the retraction. And I promise you, if, if, if the people that are saying this got on there and said, you know what, I was wrong, please send this out to everyone else. Let everyone else know that what I said was wrong. Again, you have a responsibility for what you teach. And you will be, Jesus said, you will be judged by every careless word, much less a word that is devastating and destroying. You have a responsibility for those words. Again, that's why I said, if uh, there are many times when I've had to come back and say, you know what, I was wrong. But I did that. And I didn't let it just lay. I didn't just, and Paul did some things. He, He would say, um, you know, uh, people are saying this, people are saying that. And Paul would clarify many times throughout the New Testament. Paul would say, I know that you've heard this or I know that you've heard that. And, and I'm clarifying that. I'm saying that this is what the truth is and stuff. And again, if, if it is. If, did you if, go back to every single person that heard you say that over the years? No, I use the same format. If I do it on on the recordings that we send out, then I put it on the recordings that you send out. And again, these people are famous, famous preachers. They're on YouTube. They have their own YouTube channels. Well, and, and think about Paul, who wouldn't be able to go back and like check every single person, but he pre- preached against certain people who were bringing like the Judaism right. and other things like that. And, and all I'm saying is, okay, I'm not saying you have to go to every single person that has ever heard that and try to make it right with every. I'm just saying that there are ways they can broadcast and they broadcast every Sunday. They broadcast all the time. They broadcast worldwide. They broadcast internationally. And yet, if they did retract, if they did recant, it would be broadcast. And other people would share it with other people. The people that want to defend them would say, yeah, he said right here that that wasn't true. And, it, that, and, it, and the thing is, is these people continue to teach these things. They continue to hold on to this doctrine. And there is not a recantation. There is not a changing of opinion. There is not a saying I was wrong because they don't believe that they're wrong. And again, this teaching is not a teaching that came, you know, and then now is gone. And now is never heard again. It is something that is proliferating today. It is something that is going on now. And again, it is something that they taught. They have a responsibility to make it right. Right? If I sin against somebody, I have a responsibility to try. I might not be able to. If I hurt somebody's feelings, I might not, I may apologize to them. They might not accept my apology. But I have a responsibility to try. The Bible says when, when the people in Corinthians repented against the, the guy that was sleeping with, the, with his uh, father's wife and stuff, when, when they repented, when they cast him out of the fellowship and, and he repented and stuff, he said, behold, this is true repentance. When you go to such lengths to, to make it right, and I wish I had that scripture written down, but I don't. But, you know, what earnestness you showed, what zeal, what, what, what earnestness to make it right and stuff. And Paul praised them for that. And that is true repentance. When, just like Zacchaeus, or, or Zacchaeus, when he said, you know, all the people that I, I stole from, I'm going to repay. Did he repay every single one of them? There's no possible way he could have repaid every single one of them. But in as far as it was in his ability to do so, he said, I will repay back to every person what I've stolen. And that is repentance. That is the making of a wrong right. And I cannot believe that with all the money that they have, with all the the, uh, abilities that they have, with all the broadcasting power that they have, that they can't get on there and say, I was wrong. 
So that's that's just my opinion. Hey, are we gonna read the the scripture in Psalm that yes. Jesus was quoting? Yes. yes. Shortly. Okay. So uh, turn to John chapter eight. And again, Jesus said, if anyone of you causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for that person to tie a millstone around his neck and cast himself into the sea. And if people are stumbling because of something that you're teaching, again, God will hold you accountable. So even if I, even if I go uh, broadcast worldwide that I was wrong, I might even do it for selfish reasons because I don't want God to punish me. But I'm going to make sure that I get that right because I am responsible. Teachers will be judged harsher than other people because they have a responsibility for what they teach. In John 8, verse 48, um, this is Jesus. The Jews are talking to Jesus. It says, the Jews answered Jesus and said to them, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory, for there is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to them, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Excuse me. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered and said, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And yet, and you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you have not, you're not yet 50 years old, and, and yet have you seen Abraham? Look what Jesus says to them. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And again, look at the results. Verse 59, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. So again, they understood and they knew that equating yourself with God, with God was blasphemy. Um, and again, the crux of the issue in John and all these scriptures is that Jesus was equating himself with God. And to them, any man to equate himself with God was blasphemy. And it was true of any other man but Jesus. Now uh, go ahead and turn to Psalm 82. I hope Cindy's coming back. <laughs> Cindy! I'm here. Oh, okay. We're going, so, to, Psalm we're going, we're going to Psalm 82. Right. Because in John, when Jesus told them, has, has, your, has, has it not been written in your own law that you are God's? This is the scripture that he's quoting. There are only two verses, two verses in the entirety of scripture where it says that man is God. And so we're going to look at it. And in verse one, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. Now, remember that the word ruler, okay, because we're going to come back to that. He says, and, and judge also in verse two, he says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and fatherless, do justice, sorry, do justice to the afflicted and destitute, rescue the weak and needy, deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Now, we know by the context, he's talking to judges, he's talking to princes, he's talking to people who are in authority, who are not judging properly, who are not dispensing justice, who are not looking out for the poor and needy, uh, but they, they're, they're, um, using their selfishly judging verse five it says they do not know nor do they understand they walk about in darkness all the foundations of the earth are shaken i said you are gods and all of you are sons of the most high okay stop right there okay so again so jesus is talking about people who are not judging properly and stuff and you know when i first heard of this doctrine 
and, and I knew that Jesus was quoting from Psalm 82, my first thought is, well, maybe something is lost in the translation. Maybe we're not understanding something because we don't speak Hebrew, because we don't speak, speak Greek, and we're missing something in the translation. So I, I begin to study it from, from um, where's my book? This, that one? No, the blue one. So I, I begin to study in this book right here. It's the Brown, Brown Driver Briggs Gesenius Hebrew English Lexicon. This is the book that people that don't speak Hebrew go to. These people are the ones who wrote the book on the Hebrew languages and stuff as it, as it um, refers to the Bible and stuff. So I begin to study it and I begin to look at it and see what they said in... Um, they, now, the word that is used for, for God there is the word Elohim. Now, most of the time that that is used, it is used for God himself, right? But there are other ways that that verse is used in Scripture, and we're going to look at them. And their definition here is that, number one, it's used in reference to God. Number two, it's also used in reference to rulers or judges, either as divine representatives at sacred places or as reflecting divine majesty and power. And we're going to look at some of those, the ways that those are used in Scripture. So he's using that same word, God's, but he's talking about judges. Turn to Judges chapter 5, verse 1. Judges 5, verse 1. Now, this is when it, you guys know the story of Deborah and Bar Barak when the uh, when they had to go against um, the enemies and stuff and, and defeated the, uh, you know, the iron yeah. chariots of Sisera and stuff like that. And then Deborah sings a song afterwards, right? We all know the song of Deborah, you know, and stuff like that. And so in verse 1, it says, Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinanoam, sang on that day, saying that the leaders led in Israel, and the people volunteered, Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. I to the Lord, I will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth quaked, the heavens also dripped, even the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked into the presence of the Lord. Um, this Sinai at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay. Um, and it says in the days now, so she's going to start talk, talking about the other judges that came before her, right? The, the, other, the other judges in the book of Judges. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and travelers went by roundabout ways. The peasantry ceased until the peasantry ceased. They ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. New gods were chosen. There was there, the war was in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. So now that that scripture used to confuse me a, a lot until I looked like at some commentaries and stuff like that. He's talking about the judges that were chosen. He's talking about the people that were ruling. She's talking about herself. She's talking about Barak. She's talking about the judges that arose and defeated the enemies of Israel. Does that make sense? Yes. Turn to another place in Exodus chapter 21. In Exodus 21, verse 1. <clears throat> now, these are just ordinances that God was giving to the people of Israel through Moses. He says, now these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he will serve you for six years, but on the seventh he will go out as a free man without payment. What's interesting about that is the, is the Jews never set their, their slaves free and stuff. But again, slavery was never meant to be permanent, right? It says, if he comes alone, he, will, he shall go out alone. If he's a husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master and he will go out alone. But if a slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master will bring him to God's 
is what my version says, but the NIV, and it says in my margin, or the judges who acted in God's name. So the NIV says, then, then, the, then, it says, then his master will bring him to the judges. Then he will bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. Turn to one more place in Exodus uh, 22. Is that the same Hebrew word in that? Yeah, it's the same word. Same word for gods. What, it's what, Elohim. Exodus, Exodus 22, verse um, 8. Moses is talking about like if a, if a thief breaks into your house and he's caught and all that kind of stuff. It says, if the thief, uh, let's start in verse 7. If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him and he is, it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. If the thief is not caught, then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property. And again, that, that word judges is the same word Elohim that's used for God's. So again, that word oftentimes was not always just for God the Creator, but it was used for people in authority, people who were in power, people who were acting in the place governmentally like God, right? Which, it's just like the New Testament says uh, to, to submit to those in authority over you, right? Because it, and, the, and again, when, when God sent uh, Moses to Pharaoh, he says, you will be like God and he will be like the prophet, talking about Aaron. Right, and in the context of Psalms eighty-two, he's talking about leaders. And right, he's talking about leaders, and in Psalm eight, verse five. In Psalm eight, the way that uh, Elohim is used, that word "gods" is used, is talking about angels. Can I just interrupt really quick? Even in Psalms eighty-two, the first few verses, he's talking to judges specifically. He says, right. How long will you judge unjustly? Right. So he's literally talking to leaders and right. judges. Right. Yeah. And so, doesn't he go on to say that they'll, like, I forget how it Spoiler. Like, goes. Yes, like, spoiler. Basically that they, you know, they're gods, but they're just, you know, will die mortal. like men. Yeah. Yeah. They'll die yeah. like men. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to come back to that, though. Okay. So in <laughs> Psalms 8. Psalms 8, verse 1, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I, can, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty." Now, the translators use that word God right there because it was the word Elohim, right? But look how, it's, uh, look how they, they translate it in the New Testament in Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 2. Because in Hebrews chapter 2, he quotes from this scripture, but look what he says. In Hebrews 2 verse 8, or verse... Uh, Verse 6. Now again, he's quoting from Psalm 8. He says, But one has testified, saying somewhere, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You see that? He says, Where it says God in, in, in the Hebrew Old Testament, when they translated it into the Greek, they, they said angels and stuff, because... We're already lower than God, right? It makes more sense that he's made us a little lower than angels, right? It makes no sense that, well, he's made us for a little while lower than God. We're always going to be lower than God because he's always going to be God and we're always going to be men, right? So, so yeah, turn back to Psalm uh, 82. 82. Psalm 82. We'll start again at the very beginning because just like Amy said, we want to look in context of what he's talking about because he's talking to the leaders, to those who are in the position of God in places of authority. God takes a stand, and again, you see it all through the Old Testament. When, when people stood, as when, when God elevated to a, play, a person to a place of leadership, he was basically the voice, or she, even as we saw in the case of Deborah, was the voice of God for these people. 
And so, it says in verse 1, yeah, it's the same thing. The relig- uh, John 10, God was, Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders. And he says, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partialities to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. So again, these people were thinking they were something. They were thinking because of their position, because of their knowledge, because of their wealth, that now they were high and mighty, and they're like God. And God's saying, you may think you're God, but I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to bring you down from your high position, from your place. And that's what Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you think that you're gods? You think that you're, you're, you're the voice of God to these people? You seat yourself in the seat of Moses? You lengthen your phylacteries, you lengthen the tassels on your robes, you, you, you put yourself in the voice of Moses and stuff, but you will be brought down. And that's what he's saying to them. Um, and before we leave this, it's also the, the word, that word is used of false gods. Turn to Psalm 118. So again, even, it, and that's the thing, when you, when you look at the Hebrew, it doesn't necessarily mean God as in God the Creator and stuff. And it's, you know, and again, that's where you have to go back to the Old Testament. In Psalm 118, verse 2, it says, O let. Oh, I wrote a wrong reference. Turn to Isaiah 44. I need to have like a personal secretary that checks all my scriptures. Isaiah 44, verse 9. Look at this. He says, Those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile, and their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know, so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god, Elohim, or cast an idol to no profit? And again, remember what he said in, in Corinthians, that the, the, the things that the, the pagans, the unbelievers follow, they are worshiping demons. He says, Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame, for the, crafts, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them all assemble themselves, let them stand up, let them tremble, let them together be put to shame. And this is, you know, I, I mean... All of us, not, I don't want to say all of us, but many of us, we probably all do, to some degree, have our own little idols, right? Our own little things that we don't quite want to let go to and stuff. But you, you read these things and you're like, how can people follow stuff like that? How can people follow actual wooden idols? Again, where I work in Costco, every day I bring in cars. I bring in cars with statues, elephant gods. I bring in cars with pictures of gurus. I bring in cards with uh, Saint... Nick, Saint, the guy that protects travelers thing. I used to have one a long time ago. Peter? No, Saint. Anyway, I bring in statue, uh, cars with statues of Mary, cars with statues of Jesus. People still have stuff like that. But, you know, they might call them good luck charms. They might call them, you know, whatever. People, you know, don't step on a crack because you break your mother. You know, there, there, there are a lot of us that still have vestiges of the world. Of, of the old stuff in us, right? There are some of, some of our ways of thinking lucky numbers and, and, and things like that and stuff. And so it's not so far-fetched, right? Because most of us, maybe all of us, do it to some degree. Some greater, some lesser. He says, Behold, all his companions will be put to shame, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them all assemble themselves, let them stand up, let them tremble, let them together be put to shame. The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning it, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. And I think this is a great example of people taking 
and creating doctrines, people creating false uh, falsehood, people people that buy into this stuff. What what you like? I was even into the like I I practiced a lot of things before I came, became a Christian. I I even practiced. Like I pre- I practiced some new age stuff. I practiced magic. I, I even dabbled in a little bit of Satanism and stuff like that. So I've I've tried a lot of this stuff. And believe me, it's the same thing when you are when you are forming a mindset. You are fashioning. You are taking uh, the books. You are taking the thoughts. You are taking the the wisdom, whatever you want to say. You are taking the ideas that you have and you are fashioning it into a belief system. Right? You're taking it piece by piece and you're forming a belief system. You are forming an idol of your mind. And it is a belief system that you have formed, that you have fashioned, and now you worship. In verse uh, 13, he says, Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of a man, so that it may sit in the house. And again, it's so funny because God is not a man. <laughs> God is not a man that he should lie, right? God is not a man, and yet to, to, to worship a God, they're forming something that looks like them. What are they doing? They're creating man in their own image. That's what we do. We, we don't want to take the word of God and what God says about himself. We take these other, these other belief systems and these other things and we're like, oh, I'll take part of this. I like that. You know, and I, oh, I'll take a part of this over here. I like that too. And we fashion them into something that is after ourselves and glorifies ourselves. And we have denied the true God. We, we, have, we have served and worshiped the creation rather than the creator. He says uh, he, he, in verse 14, Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and warms himself. He also makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it into a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat and he roasts the roast and is satisfied. And he he also warms himself and says, man, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. He says, but it, again, this, this is so awesome because remember when the false prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 of Asher and stuff and Elijah, you know, they're, they're, they're all day long, they're cutting themselves and they're trying to call down fire. Right? And Elijah goes and he pours water over thing and he prays and says, God, show them that you exist. And God sent down fire. And that's the thing we're chasing. Human beings chase false fire. We take something that makes us feel a little bit warm. Something that, that kind of warms us again, like the Book of Mormon, if you feel yourself warmed by it. We take something that makes us a little bit warm and we say, okay, you're going to be my God because there's fire in you and there's no fire and it's empty and it's devoid of the Spirit of God and it has no power to save. And when God speaks, fire comes down from heaven and it changes everything. Half of it he burns, verse 16, half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he, he eats meat and he roasts and, roasts and is satisfied and he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes into a god, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships it. He also prays to it and says, Deliver me for you are my god. They do not know nor do they understand for he is smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot comprehend. No one recalls nor is there knowledge or understanding to say I've burned half of it in the fire and also I've baked bread over his coals. I've roast, I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down, down before a block of wood. He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside and he cannot deliver himself nor say is there not a lie in my right hand and that's the thing god will give us what we want god will give us what we pursue over and over in the word of god god says if you want it's like when the israelites cried quite cried out for quail and god gave them quail till it's coming out of their nostrils 
God will give you what you want. And that's why the thing is, is if you truly want truth, if you truly want to know God, if there is something in you that hungers for reality and not for all this, it will not be bought by the falsehoods, will not be bought by the things that seemingly have warmth, but will not be satisfied until you truly see the fire, God will meet you at that. And that's why it says God is no respecter of persons. And it says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever, whoever, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're the worst sinner that's ever lived. If you truly in your desire, in your heart, truly want to know him and you call upon him and you seek him with all of your heart, he will let you find him. It's over and over in the word of God. But if you will be satisfied with a piece of wood that looks like what you think God looks like, then he'll give you that as well. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. And that's the problem is that so many people in the church are chasing Gods that cannot save. Gods that cannot deliver because it looks like it has a little bit of fire to it. And it has no fire. Just like Nadab and Abihu when they brought strange fire before the Lord. And God struck them dead on the spot. Because it wasn't the fire of God. And in Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. Paul said, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write... Oh, okay. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Uh, Paul was a father to them, right? Paul said, I know that after I leave, after I depart to go be, have my head cut off, I know that wolves are going to come in and devour the flock. Everywhere Paul went, he warned them, don't give them an inch. Don't listen to them. Don't. Uh, Paul said, we did not listen to them even for one hour. He says in verse two again, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. We, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And look at this and put no confidence in our flesh because in our flesh, there is no good thing. All right. Turn to one more place, Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, verse 15. I'm going to start in verse 13. For he, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness. Could we rescue ourselves? No. And that's the thing, you know... The, the thing is, is we all got to pay for our sins, right? Every one of us. And there has, every, for every sin that's committed, there must be a payment because God is a just God. Somebody's got to pay the penalty for that sin. And it's either going to be yourself in hell away from the presence of God, or it's going to be by you allowing Jesus to take that payment and to take that penalty. I cannot pay for my sins. Nobody can rescue me from my sins but Jesus alone. And it says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look at what it says of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in heaven... And now when it says He's the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that doesn't mean He was born first before anybody. What that means is He is before everybody. He is above everybody. Everybody else is beneath Him. He is preeminent. He is the one who is the one. It says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything is created to serve him. 
He also, we are not on equal ground with Jesus, with, with Jesus. We are not on equal ground with God, even though he calls us friends, right? He was telling his disciples, I call you friends, but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden now, uh, you know, now I'm on the same level with him. When, when he came in the book of Revelation and appeared to John, John fell on his feet. John, like a dead man. And John's the one who would lean on his chest. It says, we must confess Jesus as Lord. Yeah. Lord is above. Yeah. It says he is also the head, uh, he is before all things. And again, that thing before doesn't mean in order. It means he is before in the, in the way of he has preeminence. He, he is, he is the head. He is the, he's the one. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place. King James says preeminence in everything. And so and I, I missed it somewhere in my notes and stuff, but in John 3.16, it says God sent His only begotten Son. Now, we are all sons because if you are a believer, you are a son or a daughter of God through adoption, right? And and there, that word begotten is only used in a couple places. In, in Hebrews, it talks about, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about how how um, Isaac was the begotten son of, of Abraham, right? And it says through Isaac's line came the promise and the blessings and all that kind of stuff because he was the begotten son. Did Abraham have another son? Ishmael, right? Do the blessings come through Ishmael? Not at all, right? So we, Jesus, God had only one begotten son. And that was Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten Son of God. All of the rest of us are sons and daughters of God through adoption. Because He adopted us, right? So we are sons, and, and that doesn't mean that He loves us less or anything like that. But Jesus was the one born into the house. Every one of us were, were strangers and aliens, and we've been, we've been grafted in. We've been brought in. We've been adopted by the kind intention of his will because he loved us and gave his life for us. And so, so Jesus Christ is the only true, if you want to put it that way, son of God. We are also sons and daughters of God because he had mercy on us and because he adopted us. Jesus Christ is the begotten son of God. Okay? So just wanted to make that distinction. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Amen. I don't think any of us can claim that. No. 